just got to set something straight right off the bat, all right? Because many of you this week, you've been texting me and been sending me messages on social media going, oh, you're preaching this week. So what song are you doing? All right, people, I'm not a one-trick pony, all right? If you've been around before and I preach, you know I tend to sing, all right? Uh, because I'm awesome at singing. But that doesn't mean that's all I have, all right? I'm a talented guy. First of all, I'm sexy, all right? I'm straight up sexy. I can dance, all right? I'm a noted poet, all right? So there's other things that I can do. So all week long, people are like, oh, what song are you from? You gotta have a song ready. You always do a song. No, people. No. We're talking about big words today. I got a big task. I gotta talk about something very important. So I can't waste time singing and dancing, shine your shoes, where you can't do those things. We gotta talk about sanctification today. Two weeks ago, Chris talked about, about sin and he talked about homodiology and talking about this concept of how big indwelling that sin is when we enter this planet. Then last week he addressed that with what, what theology gives us as the cure. Justification of, of a Christ coming as our propitiation, standing in our place, taking the judgment that was due us, due me. And today I'm tasked with kind of walking that out. And this idea of sanctification and tackling this big word and looking in Romans to answer that a little bit. So taking time to sing, we just don't have it. We have to talk about sanctification. Even though the word sounds atrocious. And if, if you say it loud enough, you'll always be precocious. Because it's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Once I was praying to speak when I was just a lad. Me father gave me nose a tweak and told me I was bad. But then one day I learned a word that saved my eating nose. The biggest word you've ever heard. This is how it goes. Oh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always be precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I'm the little little of the I've traveled all around the world and everywhere I've been. I use this word and all would say there goes a clever chin. When Duke and Maharaja want to pass the time with me, I say me clever word and then they ask me out to tea. Oh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious, if you say it loud enough, you'll always be precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I'm the little of the lie.
When the Sherman brothers wrote the song Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious for the movie Mary Poppins, they said that word is to be a filler word when you don't know what else to say. It's a good word, it's a fun word, it's a happy word. They say, yeah, whenever you don't know what to say, the Sherman brothers would say, say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, just say it. It's just it's this word, it's this filler word for when you don't know really what else to put in there. Today we pause on this big word, sanctification, and around church, that's, that's our filler word a lot of times. It's what we slide in when we don't really know what else to say. And it sounds, it sounds kind of spiritual, sounds real theological and doctrinal, because it is. But a lot of times we pop that word in because we don't really know what else to do. We don't know what else to say. We'll, we'll, we'll slide it on in. And it's sad because it sounds kind of snobbish. It sounds like when we're going to church and we toss out sanctification, we should have like a spiritual butler. We're like, oh, Waddington, bring my Bible. Bring it around. I've got to go to church. Oh, Chambers, get to my suit for church because I am sanctified. It's a filler word for us. And it's so big sometimes, it's so overwhelming, it's so spiritually snooty that we just kind of toss it out there. Or, many of us here, maybe we back away from it. It's, it's a big enough deal for many of us in this room that we just got here this morning. It's a big enough deal for us this morning that, that like people here didn't recognize us and look at us and say, How dare you come to church? I can't believe you're the guy or you're the gal that's going to walk in here today. You're definitely not sanctified. You definitely have no sanctification. See, we hear that and we back off. A couple of weeks ago, my, my daughter, who's 10, um, she was spending the week at day camp. She'd leave in the morning. She'd be there all the way to like 4 or 5 in the afternoon. It's her second year going. She had a really big time last year. She was really excited this year. And so the first day of camp came and I was working. and So I wasn't around, but... Checked in with her at the end of the day, checked in my watch. Oh, she's had a great day. So the second day of my work day ended a little bit earlier. I got home in time to kind of take my daughter and say, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's take a little walk around the block. She said, okay, Dad, I just want to hear about your day. So we're going down the street and I'm asking her questions about camp and what she's experienced. And I said, so what was like the big thing, the, the one big idea that they talked about at camp today? And she said, they talked about how hidden sin, it destroys. I said, man, that sounds pretty serious. She's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that, I want to do something about that. She said, yeah. Do they talk about what you do? And she's like, no, because it's only the second day of camp, Dad. And I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. And I said, I said, but what does that mean to you then? She goes, it just sounds like if you have sin and bad stuff inside of you. It's going to destroy. It's going to hurt you. I said, that's right. And I go, so what do you think we should do about this? She's like, Sounds like we need Jesus. I was like, that's what I think too. And I said, now a while back, you, you made mention about Jesus changing your life. And, and you became a Christian. She's like, yeah. And I said, do you still feel that way? She's like, yeah. You know, I think that's it. And I go, well, what do you think we should do? Because if Jesus is what we need and sin is what destroys us, you know, what, what do we do to fix that? And she's like, I guess i got to keep moving forward and getting to know Jesus. And I said, yeah. And I go, do you think it's time to get baptized, maybe? And she went, oh, no, 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 no. I said, what? And she said, oh. I said, why? And she goes, because of all the bad things I've done. See, for her, along with many of us, we think journeying forward, journeying forward with Jesus 
It's something that we just can't do because of the things that we do. Two weeks ago, Chris talked about sin. We're like, man, I can get on board with that. I can talk about how lousy a person I am. I can talk about how big of a sinner I am because I'm the worst one in here, right? We're like, yeah, I can, I can gauge that one. And then last week, you talked about the cure. Like, man, I love that. I love what Jesus has done for me. I can get a hold of that. But when it says, let's keep moving forward, we get a little thrown off because of the fact that we still struggle. We still have difficulty. We still have pain. We still have hidden sins. We still have hidden struggles. And you're not alone in that feeling. From this person, from my daughter, and from the people in Rome who Paul was writing to in the book of Romans. They were people who were struggling with the tension of living out what Jesus has done in their life versus the daily struggle of being a human and I want to take a look at that today. So if you have your Bibles or you want to go on your, your, uh, your phone, we're going to go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to go back to Romans 6 and we're going to be looking at a series of verses from verse 1 through verse 14. And we're actually going to start this morning right in the middle. We're going to kind of read the tension. Then we're going to go back and see the context. And then a little while we're going to move forward and see what steps scripture gives us to take to move forward and become that person who is sanctified. Not a snob, not have it all together, not have it all figured out, but just a person who is faithfully moving forward. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Romans chapter 6 and skip down to verse 8. Down to verse 8. This is what it says for us. We're going to throw it on the screen as well. It says, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Excellent. Love it. Perfect. Let's keep tracking. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Super. This is getting better and better. Death no longer has dominion over him. Man, I love it. I'm tracking. Verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin. Thank you, Jesus. Once and for all. Super duper. But he lived. The life he lives, he lives to God. Man, I'm loving it. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. Perfect. Some of the best in Romans. Some of the best in the Bible. And then we get to verse 11. So you. Now they're talking to us. They're talking to you. They're talking to me. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin. Wait, 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 wait. I don't know about you, but I've sinned about 45 times this morning, all right? I've sinned like 12 times just coming on stage, because some of you people make me angry. But I'm supposed to be dead to sin. I don't know about that one. This is where the struggle cranks up. This is where the tension comes in. It says here that we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We get the whole we're a sinner part. We get the whole Christ is the Savior part. We get the whole we, we need that. We need that in our lives. And many of us have done that. And then we get ready to take this next step in the journey. We're like, whoa, whoa, I just, I don't know if I can move forward because I'm still sinning. I'm still struggling. I went to college back out uh, in East Tennessee at a little university called uh, Carson Newman and uh, enjoyed my time there. And I lived in this dorm called Alumni Hall. And the ratio of student cars to parking spots was really disproportionate. All right. There was like seven parking spots 
for 200 guys that lived in the dorm. So if you didn't come to the dorm at night until 10 or 11 or 12, you weren't going to get a parking spot. You had to drive all the way down kind of this road, up on the street, kind of, kind of, kind of cross several streets. It was a dirt, gravel parking lot. If it rained or it snowed or it was cold, it was a miserable place to park. So if you were, if you were lucky enough to kind of drive back to the dorm early, you would, you would circle the dorm, try to find a spot outside, right outside the dorm, so you could walk in a little easier. And there was one spot... The white whale, as I like to call it. And it was right next to the steps leading up to the door that walked right onto my hallway. It had a little overhang. So, I mean, you were literally outside of your car exposed to the elements for about 10 seconds. And when you're in college, you never really travel outside much. You like to say you do. You have the shakos and the hiking stuff. But you hike like one time in college, all right? I did it one day when I was in college. I climbed a mountain. After that, I stayed inside to play video games and ate noodles, all right? That's what you do in college. But you like to say you're outdoors. We don't want to be outdoors. We want to park as close as we can. And the white whale was never available my whole time in college. And then in my senior year, one day, I came back to the dorm a little early. I circled, and the white whale was wide open. So, of course, I pulled my Corolla LE, light blue, baby. I pulled it right into the white whale. And I parked. I rolled the windows up. I locked the doors. And I... Headed on into the dorm. And the rest of the day, I was going up and down the halls like, hey, you got to come see this out the window. And they're like, what? And I'm like, just come on. Just come on. And they'd walk down the hall and be like, look, look down there. And they'd be like, what am I looking at? I was like, look. And they're like, all I see is a crappy Toyota Corolla. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it's crappy, but look where it's parked. It's in the white whale. It's there. I was bringing people all day. Like, look at my parking spot. So as the days turned into weeks, I just never moved it. <laughs> why, would I, why would I give up my parking spots? It's the best. It just stayed there. There's like flyers inside of it. You know, eventually the college put a boot on it. I was like, I don't care because that parking spot is money. Look at that. I made no change because if I pulled out of that spot, I was going to lose that spot. And then if I pulled out of that spot and I went out onto the road, I may get a speeding ticket. I may get in an accident. Something dangerous might happen. All right? My CDs might not work. I might have to listen to country radio, which is all they have in East Tennessee. All right? Country radio is out. But what? If worse things can happen. I could die. Or I could listen to country radio. So I just left it there. Many of us... Get the whole, we're sinners part. And many of us get the whole part. Jesus came to bring a cure to that. And we grab hold of that. But then it's taking those next steps that become very overwhelming to us. So many of us here today are parked in that same spot of accepting Christ, which is awesome. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But we keep staying there, just holding on in that spot. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to engage anything else. Because of that whole, we're supposed to be dead to sin. We have to consider ourselves that way. And we know, you know better than anyone else around you, you know that you're still struggling with that sin, that issue, that pain, that hurt. So we'll just stay in that one spot. Friends, that's not how we were designed to live scripturally, spiritually. That's not how we're supposed to sit and be. We need to remind ourselves what Jesus has done and move forward in power, in courage, and faith. 
How we do that is this word sanctification. How we move forward, how we pull out of that parking spot and begin to engage is sanctification. It's what scripture has given to us. Look with me. Pull back to, to, to Romans chapter 6, the same chapter we've been, but go back to verse 1. What Paul is doing here, the writer of this, of this letter, what he's doing here is he's beginning to help people grasp. People in that church and people in this church grasp what it is to fully be alive in grace. Because what's happening here is the people are going, maybe grace isn't enough. Maybe faith isn't enough. What else do I need to do? This isn't just a Roman issue. It is a human issue. We all struggle with, isn't there something else I should do? Isn't there something else I need to say or a certain way I need to act? Let me earn this. Let me earn this from you. Friends, that is not sanctification. That's legalism. It's religion. And it will eat you up. So I would rather us look at what Paul is saying for you and I. And in verse 1, he says this. What shall we say then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's saying here, do we just keep living this life of sin? Do we just keep letting it come over so grace can roll over and pour over us and be this great thing? Like maybe that's what I do. Maybe I don't need to have faith. Maybe it's just... Grace, grace, grace is pouring out. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, by no means, exclamation point. The original language of the New Testament is Greek, and by no means translated means hogwash. He says, hogwash, exclamation point. Gibberish, baloney, exclamation point. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And I guarantee you, every single person that was reading this letter, that was hearing it spoken, and every single person in this room leans forward a little bit going, man, I really want to know the answer to this one, because that's me. I wonder if Paul's got a good answer here, because I am a sinner. I had gluttony this morning. Lots of it. And those two sweet words, Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) A little short with my kids today. A little short with the other drivers because every driver is awful other than me. (laughs) So when he says, how do we live in this? I'm like, tell me. I got to know something. What potion do I take? What incantation do I say? What offering do I bring? What do I need to sacrifice? What do I need to lift up? How loud do I have to sing today? How many groups do I need to sign up to be a part of? How many places do I need to volunteer? Let me earn this because I'm still living in sin. What else do I have to do? So what Paul does is he sets this tension. He says, it's not just grace that's important here. We have to have faith. Because it was thought that somebody was going around this church, other than Paul, not necessarily a member of it, but he was coming in and he was doing some teaching and people were listening to him. And he was saying, faith in grace is not enough. There's got to be something else that you have to do. And Paul goes, by no means. That's not how it is. But we can't keep living in this cycle of sin. And so what Paul does in verse 3 
and then four, and then five, and then six, and then seven, is he reminds us one more time of what Jesus has done. Look at it with me. Look at what he says here, starting in verse three. Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he's saying, those of you that have been baptized, you realized your sin, you realized the Savior, you showed faith in him and you were baptized. He's saying something significant happened there. Because there was a lot of people that were probably going, man, if faith doesn't work, should I be baptized again? Do I get baptized every Sunday? How about every time I take a bath or a shower, I'm like, let's just make this holy. God, forgive my sins. What do I need to sacrifice along with my baptism? What do I need to say or do along with my baptism? Do you see the insanity here? Do you see the cycle that we get in? What else? What else? What else? Help me fix this. And Paul's saying, hold on. When you're baptized, you are baptized into Jesus Christ. You are baptized into his death. So he's reminding people that you have been in his death. Your baptism is significant. Those of you that are preparing to get baptized, that baptism is significant. It is a reminder of what Christ has done and that you have accepted that in faith. And then he continues on. He says, we were buried in verse 4. Therefore with him by baptism into death. So he says, not only were we put into his death, but we were buried like him. We were buried. That's when we baptized. We say buried with Christ in baptism. It's a, it's a symbolic act. It's to be an echo of what he did at the grave. We're buried with him. Death no longer has the hold that it did before over us because of his death. And then Paul continues on. And he says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So he's not just saying that we've been baptized. He's not just saying that we've been buried. He's saying we've been raised just like he was raised into a whole new life, a whole new way of living and doing and being. So he said, you're baptized into his death and you're buried like him and you're raised like him. You see what Paul's doing? He's reminding us. Again, because we need this, not just on Sundays, but every single day. Jerry Bridges says that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And so these are good verses daily to go back and be like, this happened to me. I was baptized. I was buried like him. I was raised like him. And look what it says at the back end of verse 4. It says, we too might walk in newness of life. So not only were we baptized like him, not only were we buried like him, not only were we raised like him, but now we walk in him. We walk with him. In verse 5 it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like him. So he says now it's not just being baptized and buried and raised and walking. We're united. We're linked together. And it cannot be broken. It cannot be taken away. We are united with him in his death. And we're united with him in his resurrection. That waits for all of us who have seen our sin and accepted our Savior. And we're living out in faith. We now are united with him. Then it says in verse 6. And we know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So not only are we baptized like him. Not only are we buried with him. Not only are we raised with him. Not only do we walk with him. Not only are we united with him. We have been crucified with him. Our sins 
are dead. They no longer have the power that they did over us before our life in Christ. Crucified, he says. And he says, so that we should no longer be, the very end of verse 6, no longer shall be enslaved to sin. When he sets this in motion, this is what allows verse 11 to come to life. That we can now, because of what Jesus has done, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Christ Jesus. We can believe it now more and more because of these reminders. All of what's happened to us who are Christians. We've been baptized. We've been buried. We've been raised. We walk. We are united. We've crucified our sins. But oftentimes that sin comes back and we begin to struggle. We lose sight of the truth. Because that sin is not gone just yet. We are in a point of sanctification, not perfection. When perfection comes, that means something that is imperfect, like sin, cannot be. But we're not there yet. We're in this state of sanctification. So when we struggle, we yell a little bit more than we need to yell. We drink a little bit more than we need to drink. We look at things that we shouldn't look at. We act in ways that are improper, that take away from our testament, take away from what has happened to us in Romans 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. When that comes in and that darkness of sin comes in, we lose sight of the truth. One night in my home growing up, in the middle of the night, about 2, 2.30 in the morning, I hear my oldest sister, her name is Amy, I hear her scream. It wakes everyone in the house up. And I hear her just pounding, knocking up the steps. Lights clicking on. My two sisters were downstairs. My mom and dad and I, our bedroom direction. We see her, we hear her pounding up the stairs. She comes in to my mom and dad's bedroom. You can hear her sobbing. You know, my other sister and I, we show up because we're like, what's happened? Did somebody break in? And she's in there crying. She's in there weeping. It took us like several minutes just to calm her down. We're like, what has happened? My sister finally starts to calm down a little bit. Still with tears in her eyes, shaking. She said, I fell asleep on the couch tonight. And from our couch in our living room, you can see right down this hallway, right into half of our kitchen. And she said, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I saw a man at the end of the hallway in our kitchen watching me. I could see his head in the shadows. And she said, and I could see him. And she said, and I was terrified. I was, I was like in this petrified state. She's like, I didn't know to move. Was he going to attack me? She said, I've been sitting down there for an hour waiting for this man to make a move. So I can make a move and try to get free or hurt him or whatever. He's just been staring at me. And she said, starting to get so full of fear that after an hour of this, she's like, I've just got to make a dash. And she's pretty athletic, still is. She's like, she thought to herself, I can just make it to the end of the hall. Right before you can get in there, stairs going upstairs to my mom and dad. And she's like, if I can just get upstairs. I guess she's thinking, I'll lure him with me and he'll kill my mom and dad and brother. <laughs> She said, so I just took a deep breath. I slowly, so it didn't look like I was getting down the cupboard, but I slowly got out of the covers. And before he could do anything, I took off down the hall, and I hit the steps, and I started making all this noise. I was turning the lights on, hoping it would scare him out of the house. She said, and I got to the top of the steps, and I turned the corner, and I looked back down at him, and he was still standing in the kitchen. And she said, and then I made it into your old room, 
and I've been here ever since. And we're like, is he still down there? What should we do? We call the police? And she said, no, it was a pineapple. My mom had a pineapple on the end of the counter. And in the shadows, in the dark, it looked much bigger, much more threatening than if it was in the lights. Seriously, who gets freaked out by a pineapple? Is they're delicious. The only thing they kill was my hunger. When those shadows come, when that darkness comes, everything seems bigger and worse than it is. Friend, if you are in Christ, you have seen the depths of your sin. You have seen the radical passion and glory of his gospel and what he's done for you. You've accepted that. If you mess up today, he doesn't take it back. You're going to sin. I'm going to sin. Guess what? I'm way better than you are at it, okay? I'm going to do it a lot today. And a lightning bolt is not going to be cast at me. If I get in an accident today, it's not going God wants. Well, I had to shut him down. He doesn't act like that because we have been united, the gospel says. United with his son. He wants to bring no ill upon his son. He's going to bring no ill upon his people. And sanctification is this big, great, confusing, spiritual, theological, amazing, powerful word that says to you and I, we get to move forward even though we're still messed up. Even though we're still struggling. It's not that sin is gone, is what Paul's saying here. But its appeal and its power is gone. It can no longer condemn you the way that it used to. It can no longer condemn me the way that it used to. Sin doesn't have the power to look into your life and say, you don't deserve this. You're not worthy of this. You're not good enough. You're not special enough. Jesus doesn't love you. God doesn't love you. You are a screw-up. It doesn't have that power anymore when we remind ourselves of Romans 6, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. We have been baptized with Christ and buried and raised and we walk in Him and we're united with Him. And we have crucified our sin. What he's saying here is it's different now. It may not feel like it. Many of you today may not even feel like it. I get it, that makes sense, but still, it's been a tough couple of weeks. But don't allow yourself to start to go, all right, well, what I'll do is I'll write a really big check to one church. Oh, you can do that, okay? All right, you can really write us a really big check, all right? But that's not going to change God's love for you. Or I'm going to sign up for 15 small groups. I'm going to do all of the lunch small groups. I'm going to do all of the evening small groups. Every single day of week is going to be in a small group. All right, you can do that, all right? Make Patrick really happy. He's a sour little man, so you need to do that. <laughs> but... But that's not going to change God's love for you. It's not changed when we're united with Christ, is what the gospel tells us. It doesn't change because we're united, we're linked with Him. It may not feel like it, but that's where sanctification comes in. And praise be to God, Paul gives us some idea. 
of what we do. And that's found in verse 12 and verse 13. Let's look at it real quick before I shut up and we're done, okay? In verse 12, chapter 6, he gives us the first of what I think are three steps that these verses say so we can live out our sanctification. He says this first, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passion. So our, our first step is an easy one. It's that we let not. The first step is let not. He says, let not sin reign. Reign is used here like to rule, but, mo- but really what it means is to steer or to direct. So he's saying, let not sin steer or direct you anymore. That's not who you are. What Paul is appealing to you and I here in this first step is he's telling us, become who you are meant to become in Jesus Christ. That's the important part. Become who you are meant to become in Jesus Christ. See, our guide is to go back and to, to keep God happy with our religion or our bribery, or smoke and mirrors, theology. And that doesn't work. Because if we're reading the first part of Romans 6 correctly, we're realizing that all of this is because of the power of Jesus, through the grace of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. And when we separate sanctification from the work of Christ, it becomes legalism. And it will never save you. It will never change you. It will never allow you to become the believer that you were meant to become. But when sanctification is fueled with the work of Christ, when it becomes the fuel to what is happening here, what it does is it connects us. With Jesus in such a way that all of our sanctification happens only because of Jesus. If we try to make it about us or what we can do, it's legalism and it will wear us out and it won't work. But when you connect with Christ, it becomes done by Him, through Him. So we let not the sin reign and direct us and steer us and guide us. That's not how it's to be. In verse 13, the first part of the verse, it gives us our second step. It says, do not present your members to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. Do not, is that second step, so we let not, and then we do not. When Paul was writing here, he was actually writing with a military theme in mind. Most of you won't understand that, all right? None of you will get this. But I am a chaplain in the United States Army National Guard, all right? One week in a month, two weeks a year, yo. So I totally get this. What Paul's saying in here is he's saying, don't let anything else take command over you. He is telling you believers, and you soon to believe believers, that you have a new commander. You have a new general, and you're not going to stay under the orders of the way that it was used to be. You're not going to stay under the orders of how you used to live, because all that brought was confusion and pain and doubt and fear, and eventually it would bring you death. So he says, do not present yourself that way anymore. Let not sin guide and direct you. It's a lot of do nots. It's a lot of let nots, isn't it? A lot of not. Don't don't do this. Let not do this. So let's get to the third step that he gives us. The second part of verse 13, he says this. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He says, present yourself. He says, let not 
Do not and now present yourself. This is how we live out salvation. This is how we live out sanctification. This is how it becomes a part of who we are. And again, it's a military term. It's to be thought through in the idea of a review stand. And you're marching in front of it. Not at the end of a graduation from, from your basic training or your AIT or your bowling. It's not one of those. It's saying we're going before the review stand of Jesus Christ every single day. We do this daily. And it's walking before him and saying, God, here I am. This is who I am today. And it's not this grandiose idea of what you're supposed to be or how you think God would be happy. That's not in here. What Paul's saying is saying, present yourself. Present you, who you are. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between. Present your doubts and your fears. He's saying, come before him and say, God, this is what I am today. I've blown it 2,000 times since I got up, and I've only been up for five minutes. So today, give me the courage to not let sin steer me anymore. God, here I am today. I got short with my wife. I cut a corner at work. I flicked this person off, or I shortchanged this person, or these thoughts are creeping back up, and I'm going to sites that I shouldn't to. He's saying, present yourself, who you are. Because that, my friends, is sanctification. It's not this big word that's full of you've got it together and you're all fixed and there you go. Sanctification is the process of becoming who you are. So we let not the things that used to steer us, steer us. And then we become more of who we were meant to be. So we do not present ourselves the way that we used to because it doesn't work. So what we do is we present ourselves before God saying, here I am. Your grace says I'm accepted as I am, so take me. This becomes our prayer daily. This becomes our pattern daily. And in verse 14, he sums it all together. He ties all this first part of Romans 6 together where he says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you are under grace. No dominion. When we hear dominion, we think of a kingdom and a ruler, and that's, that's it. That's part of it. But when Paul wrote this word here, he wasn't just talking about a physical kingdom, that, that dominion of sin that used to reign over us. And he wasn't just talking about a tangible ruler that, that was ruling over us. He was actually talking about a kingdom and a ruler from a different era. From a different age. He's talking about time here. He's saying we have no dominion. That kingdom, that ruler. He says that was the past. It was another time. And when you're linked with Christ. You live in a new age. In a new life. Under a new kingdom. In a new power. For a new sanctification for you today. The day after my daughter and I went for that walk around our neighborhood. And she told me I, I can't do this. The next day I'm driving home from work and my phone beeps and I have a text message from her. And this is what it said. It said, hey dad, 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 hey dad. Guess what? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Smiley face emoji, smiley face emoji, smiley face emoji. If you don't know what emoji is, it's because you're living in sin, people. So I text my daughter back and I said, what? Exclamation point, question mark, 
exclamation point, confused face emoji, confused face emoji, confused face emoji. You guys know the one I'm talking about, the one that goes, right, that one. I sent her three. This is serious. Immediately she texted me back. She said, today, dad, today at camp, they talked about Jesus more and I invited him into my life and I've become a Christian. the amazing thing about the salvation that happened to my daughter is it's the same type of salvation that happened to me and it's the same type of salvation that happened to many of you in this room. That that salvation came and immediately we were lifted out of the dominion of sin and we live in a new kingdom. We live in a new age. And right at that moment, sanctification begins. We can't stay in the past. We can't stay going, let me fix all of this. We must make a decision and say, for better or worse, I don't know it all. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to move forward. Friends, that is the big word of sanctification. And that is where we begin to live every day until the next big word, perfection, begins to happen. But that's a sermon in a series for another day. Pray with me. Father, thank you for Jesus' unbelievable, incredible Amazing, good grace and good gospel that changes us. That we no longer are living in the dominion of sin. We live under the rule of Jesus Christ in his kingdom of grace. And God, many of us still struggle. And it brings fear and doubt and insecurity into our minds. So I pray, Father, that you overwhelm us today with the power of sanctification. That it doesn't mean we have it all together, but it means that every day we live in a pattern of saying, God, here I am, for better or worse, I want to be more like Christ, I want to be less like me, so let's keep this process of transforming me into the likeness of your son, God. And I ask God that you will make that happen in our lives, in our homes, and in our church today, so Jesus can be glorified. Amen.